1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. This morning, while you're looking that up, I want to speak on the topic, Elijah the man, a myth, and his mission. Elijah, a man, a myth, and his mission. And believe it or not, I had written uh, this morning's message on Thursday. I had gotten some, I was reading early one morning, and I had gotten a, the, some points on what I thought, something fresh. I felt the Lord really give me something, but when I started writing, I had written it by Thursday, and then by Friday morning, I realized it was the ending of it, not the beginning of it. And so we, I wrote all day Friday, and then I had a visit to do on Friday night, but I wrote all day Friday and some of yesterday as well to finish it. And so the ending that I thought is really the beginning this morning, so I'm going to have to change some things around as I bring it. The main thrust of this will be the first part that I had written, which will be the last, will be more theological. But this first part, maybe for two weeks, will be practical. And I hope that God... I pray that the Lord uses it to bless his people this morning. Let's read 1 Kings 19 and verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he rose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise indeed, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, inspired and forever settled in heaven. We pray, Lord, now that you would help me to not only read your word and to preach your word, but to teach your word. And may your spirit apply your word. And we pray, O God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. And whatever way, Lord, you see your people, whatever way you deem it fit to do, Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would move upon each and every one of us. And as our faces differ, so do our needs. And so you know them all. You know the homes, the families, the stresses, the life that we have left behind at home. 
or maybe that we're going back to. So we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you, Lord, would minister to us this morning. Lead us and guide us. And direct us, we pray. Lord, that we might give you the glory to serve your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray and ask it. Amen. Elijah the man, a myth and his mission. First of all, we will have Elijah's fame, F-A-M-E. Then we will look at Elijah's foe, F-O-E. Elijah's fear, then Elijah's flight, then Elijah's fainting, then Elijah's food, then Elijah's frailty, Elijah's fortitude, and then to finish, Elijah's father. We will do that over two weeks, the Lord willing. First of all, we have to get to grips with what is happening in our reading and in this chapter this morning. You see, the northern kingdom known as the house of Israel have went into dire apostasy and under Ahab and Jezebel and other kings, in fact, all of them ruling from Samaria were wicked before the Lord. They went into apostasy. And what you see in the scripture before this is great miracle in miracles in the northern kingdom. Elijah is a prophet to the northern house of Israel, the southern house of Judah. He is not a prophet to them. But I want you to note this morning the apostasy, the spiritual idolatry that was in the house of Israel and the spiritual adultery before God, which was in the house of Israel at this time. And it's so easy to see why Elijah fainted at times. Because if you even look at our own nation, where many in the church are fainting because of the things that are being done, the things that are happening, because of the way even the rejection of the word of God is, it seems like a dry and a barren land. But nevertheless, when we look, whether it's next week or the week after, at the, the, the more theological side of Elijah and what the scripture says about him, we're told that there's going to be a last time or an end time great revival here. I believe it with all my heart that God is and will rise up or raise up what we call an Elijah people, an Elijah ministry that will go out without fear and favor in a dark apostate nation as Britain is, and that they will reach the lost for this last end time revival. That will be further down the line. But we want to look at Elijah the man this morning. Elijah was a man. You see, the myth of it is that he appears out of nowhere. So was he real or is he an angel sent by God? Because Elijah appears out of nowhere in 1 Kings 17. The thing about it is, is the Bible tells us exactly who Elijah was. He was a man. But we want to look at his humanness this morning, his humanity. Even though God uses him greatly, even though he's a man of God, even though the Lord has used him for miracles, signs, and wonders in the northern house of Israel, yet in his humanity we see his frailty and his weakness. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we can't read all of this, so if you're writing, jot it down or listen later and, and follow with me. In 1 Kings 18, from verses 30 to 39, the altar of the Lord of Jehovah 
was broken down. Now Israel didn't care about the altar of the Lord for the real line of worship was in Judah, in Jerusalem in the south. But this altar at one time that was there has been broken down and left just to go into degradation and destruction. And we're told Elijah repairs the altar of the Lord. So he spends time working at getting the right things together again in the nation among the people. And so Elijah calls down, he sets all everything out in order, and he calls down fire from heaven. And when he calls down fire from heaven, there's a sacrifice on the repaired altar, and God answered by fire from heaven. And the prophets of Baal made their altar, jumped on it, cut themselves and cried unto their gods with a small g, and there was no answer, and so God was glorified. So what a, what a miracle for us to see. Imagine that happening to us today, but rather than setting fire on uh, 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 altars of stone and of wood with a dead animal on it, he sets fire the altar of the heart that's been to the cross under the blood of Christ and the life that is sacrificed for the service of God. That's where the fire falls and that's where we as the church must get to. That's why I want CET to get to. A, a church, an assembly of men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who want to get back to the old paths, who want to get back to the roots of our, our belief and our faith, who want to see God move again in mighty wonder-working power in our nation. That's what I want for us, the apostolic church of God in these islands. So in First Kings 18, there was the altar of God and the fire which fell. And then in 18 and verse 40, we have the judgment of Elijah. We had Elijah's altar, now Elijah's judgment. He takes the prophets of Baal and he has them all slain. There's 450 wicked prophets there and he has them all slain. So we have also the, the, not only the death of them, we have Elijah's mercy because Ahab the king, he is there and Ahab is released instead of Elijah saying, take this king out because he's a wicked ruler. Instead, he shows a mercy and releases Ahab. And of course, we have then Elijah's vision. Then he goes and he goes into a, a mountain range and there he's praying and the, there's a drought in First Kings 17 and 1. He says, there'll be no dew or rain according to my word. And for the space of three and a half years, there was no rain in the northern kingdom of Israel. None. There is a drought. Drought brings famine, brings disease, brings all of these things. But God answered his prayer. And so from then until 1 Kings 18 verses 42 to 45, he now prays that it might rain. And his servant goes out and back seven times. And there he sees the cloud, the size of a man's hand, in a place where there's no clouds in the sky, there's no rain for three and a half years. And Elijah's vision was this, that he could see the rain falling through that little cloud the size of a man's hand. So brothers and sisters, we see how God gives his people vision. And the problem is there's many in the church who's lost their vision. They've lost vision of what God has done and what God is doing, and what God is going to do. And they can't see it. All they see is the negativity. 
the cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah saw it. And Elijah saw through the impossibility. And there he saw the rain that would fall in great abundance. And then in chapter 18 and in verse 46, we have Elijah's power. Would you just read the last verse of chapter 18 before we go into chapter 19, please? And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. I take note of this. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. You see, the hand of the Lord is on him. Yet when we get into this chapter, we see the humanity of Elijah. We see him with his frailties and his faults. But yet the hand of the Lord was on him. You might say, how can God use him and how can God use her? Because they're so weak. God uses the weak vessels. Do you not know that? And I'm so weak and you're so weak. But that's the people God uses. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. And here we find that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Then we go into chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done and with all how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Now, if you're writing down, write Elijah's fame. F-A-M-E. Elijah's fame. Elijah's fame, as we have just went through, the fire and the cloud, the size of a man's hand, seeing when none could see, and God answering in his prayer, the rain coming after three and a half years. You and I would think, wow, such a blessing. We, we, we'd walk through walls if we felt like that, wouldn't we? We'd stand before the governments. We'd be outside Westminster gates against our abomination laws. We'd be standing at Stormont and we wouldn't let them through until fire came down from heaven and consumed a lot. But yet we don't. But yet we don't. Because somewhere inside the most of us is the humanity. And the frailty and the fear. Notice Elijah's fame. We want to look at the fame this morning. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets of Baal, or Baal, some would pronounce it, with the sword. Elijah may have built the altar. With his hands, Elijah may have built the altar, but so did the prophets of Baal build theirs. And what was the difference? The difference was the fire of God that fell. Now take note here. The fire of the Lord fell in chapter 18 and verse 38 it says. And then in verse 39 it says, And when all the people, all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said... The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Notice all of these people of Israel, of the northern kingdom, started to praise the Lord. There was, as it seemingly was, revival broke out with this mighty sign and wonder from heaven when the fire fell. And they started to cry, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Ahab is now away to Jezebel. And what does he do? Starts telling Jezebel everything that Ahab had done 
and Ahab had, or pardon me, Elijah done, and Elijah had fame among the people outside, and then fame in the palace, and of course then came the trouble with the fame. Then came the trouble with the, with the fame. The people were completely convinced, for they cried, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Revival was breaking out in Israel. But take note, brother and sister, there was no lasting change among the people. There is no lasting change in the nation. And it's good to see signs and wonders. I believe in them. It's good to see God moving in power and glory. I believe in it. But many people see it. And they cry, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. And shortly afterwards, it's the sign they seek and not the Savior. It's the word, it's not the work. And unfortunately, many see things that God has done and hear about it, but they don't go on with God. And many of them this day, they had seen the fire fall from heaven and consume the altar. But they didn't go on with God. Take note here. Take note. Secondly, Elijah's prayer. It was Elijah's prayer, but it was God's answer that made the difference. You know, James, in James chapter 5 and verse 16 Listen to what he says. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then, in the next verse, he runs it in, linking it to Elijah's prayer life and Elijah's name. I take note. He then goes on to say in verse 17, James 5 and 17, Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. So the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, how are we praying? What are we praying? In what way are we praying? The effectual fervent prayer. The word effectual here means unceasing, continuous prayer. So don't give up, but the unceasing and continuous prayer. The effectual fervent prayer is the word energeo. It's where we get our word energy from. Energy. So Elijah's prayer was unceasing. It had energy about it. In other words, he put his heart He put his all into the prayer. He wasn't mealy-mouthed. He put everything into that prayer. It gives the idea of a pot with a lid on it coming to the boiling and it's shaking with the boiling. Elijah, he's on fire with this. He's boiling over. He's boiling over with the presence of God, the power of God in prayer to God. And so he's unceasing, unrelenting, and he won't let go until, like Jacob says, God blesses him. 
Notice here. He was a man subject to like passions as we are in verse 17. And he prayed earnestly. Here's something else about his prayer. It's the word earnestly as as the word proskuel. Proskuel. Where we get our word to prostrate ourselves. He prostrated himself to his knees. And then completely on the floor. Crying unto God. The prostration in worship. It gives the idea he worshipped God in his prayer. How many of us worship him in our prayers? Or just ask him for the things we need? He worshipped him. Try it, brother. Try it, sister. Don't pray for anything. Don't ask him for anything. It's harder than you think, by the way. Because we're so used to that. Don't ask him for one single solitary thing, but rather worship him. Be fervent. Let yourself get passionate and excited about him and come before him. Try prostrating yourself. And what you're saying is, Lord, this is who I am in respect and reverence before you, the great and almighty God, And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. That's First Kings 17 and verse 1 when he goes into King Ahab. James is speaking of that. And then in verse 18 he says, And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth fruit. That's First Kings 18. James speaks of this in the New Testament. First Kings 18 and verse 42 That's when he's seen the cloud the size of a man's hand and he says to Ahab, get up for there's a sound of an abundance of rain. Even before there was rain, even before there was great sky filled with clouds, he could see with vision. Elijah's fame was this. This is where we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the fame of it. Ahab is telling Jezebel, listen to what Elijah did. The people are going, the Lord, he is the God, and they're looking towards Elijah. But here's point three about Elijah's fame. Fame, brothers and sisters, can be dangerous. Fame can be dangerous. Fame can cause pride in the hearts of men and women. First Kings chapter 19 and verse 14. Look what it says. Listen to what Elijah says later on in the chapter when he runs away. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, here's what we have to take note of. Elijah is saying, there's nobody else but me. That I alone have done these things. Elijah is starting to believe his own fame. Elijah is starting to believe that he alone is the one who's doing the work of God. Elijah is starting to get into that click mentality when it's us four and no more. We are the chosen frozen. 
And Elijah is getting into this mindset. You see, whenever you're feeling low and feeling down, everybody else may be the ones to blame and no one else is around you to help. And that might be true. But the sayers only me. He's starting to believe, as it were, his own fame. Elijah, while he was obedient to Yahweh, to God, it was Yahweh who did the real work, brothers and sisters. Elijah's sweat of his brow put the stones together for the altar, put the wood in order for the altar, brought the sacrifice and shed the blood on the altar. It was Elijah who done the work for it. But it was God who answered by fire. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for God coming down to Elijah and being to Elijah what Elijah could never be, Elijah would be nothing without him and so would you and I. No matter our works, if God's not in it, it's not worth doing. While Elijah was obedient to the Lord and what he had done, it was God who did the real work. Listen, Elijah did that which was possible. Elijah did that which was possible. Would you say possible? Possible. Say it again, please. Elijah did that which was possible, but it was God which did the impossible. And you and I in ministry to God are to do our bit. Prayers without legs are never the answer. And prayers without God will never happen. And works from man are nothing but dead and carnal humanistic sacrifices. But God works with us. Notice here. In the book of Acts. The title of it is the Acts of the Apostles. If you read the first page of it. And I understand what it means for Mark's gospel 16 and 20 says that the apostles went preaching the word and the Lord was working with them. The book of Acts really isn't the acts of the apostles. The book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit of God working through the apostles. Let us always be aware that sometimes when we think we do it, our own fame may catch us we may say, look what I have done. No, brothers and sisters, it's look what the Lord has done in everything we do. Fourthly, on Elijah's fame, fame, you ready for this? I'm just going to hit home here. And you're going to say, every one of us, I'm sure, has experienced this. When you're popular or when things are going well for you, let's, we're putting that under fame, F-A-M-E. Fame brings fake friends, fervent foes, and ever-ready enemies. 
Fame brings fake friends, fervent foes, and ever ready enemies. Those people of the house of Israel who cried, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Where are they now? From chapter 18 into chapter 19, where did they all go? When the rubber hit the road, when things got dangerous and things got hard, things became complicated, where were they? It's like when Jesus in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, they're all crying and hailing him as the king of Israel. But days later, where are they days later? There's many of them crying, crucify him. You see, he wasn't as popular anymore. He wasn't going with the flow. He wasn't in the, as it were, the, the, the church no high in Jerusalem anymore. And his fake friends were around him. His fervent throes were against him. And his ever-ready enemies, well, they attack him. Pontius Pilate and Herod and Annas and Caiaphas of the high priests in Jerusalem all hated one another. They hated one another. They despised one another. They were against one another. But they unified to crucify Christ. They unified to crucify and to destroy Jesus. Is it not strange that sometimes when things are going well for us and those foes and enemies and fake friends, they may all even get together and unify to do the same to you? How does that happen that, the, that those who are wicked in their thoughts and would want to hurt someone, how is it that they can unify so readily even though they're so far apart, poles apart? Listen, it's even happening in the lobbyist groups in our nation today. The lobbyist groups of the LGBT and whatever else. The Greens. The Alliance. They're all gathering together. The, the Gaelic, they're all gathering together. They all protest together. They all stand together. You know why? Because it's full of Marxism and communism. And they gather together for the Irish language and everything else. And they protest at their own protest because they're of one spirit. And it's the communist spirit. It's the Marxist spirit. And they protest one together. They, they support one another. And tell me, brothers and sisters, how is it that the so-called church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, fights one another? Do we not know that a house divided cannot stand? If it isn't fighting throughout one to another, it's keyboard warriors destroying each other. You see, fame brings these types of people. Here's what I've written. It's funny how 
sometimes the people you'd take a bullet for are the ones behind the trigger. I'd heard that before. It's not, it's not my saying, but I'd written it down because I can't remember where I'd heard it. How come is it that those who you've ministered to, those who you've helped along the way, those whom you've blessed, those whom you've encouraged and you've visited, maybe when they're sick and you've brought them something to eat or you've, you've helped them in one way or another. As a pastor, I'm sure all pastors could say this. You know, you're there at the birth. You're there, and, well, not at the birth. You're there after, shortly after the lady has given birth. I was nearly at one, by the way. Certain young woman in the church was having a baby, and uh, I went up and asked the name, and the shown, they were showing me in, and she was in a birthing pool. And I walked in and says, Well, the pool's in here. And I went, No, no, I'm not going in. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the husband. I'm not going in. But how is it that those whom you minister to, those whom you help along the way, you encourage, those who you bless, you try and bring their gifts out of them and their talents and their abilities, how is it those who you're taking the bullet for are the ones who are usually the one pulling the trigger behind the gun? How does that happen? And maybe in your life you can understand that. You see, because when things are going good for you and there's fame, popularity, and God is blessing. And they know fine rightly the fire has fallen. And they know fine rightly that the cloud has given you the vision. They know fine rightly that God has been with you. But when it didn't work out for them. They've seen a flaw. The flaw is too great for them to handle. And Elijah's fame. In the eyes of Jezebel was nothing but detrimental to him. It's funny how sometimes the people you take the bullet for are the ones behind the trigger. The real situation will always expose the fake friend, the fervent foe, and your ever-ready enemies. When the rubber hits the road. Listen to Psalm 41 and verse 9. Yea, mine old familiar friend in whom I trusted. Which did eat of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me. If anyone understands that brother. If anyone has been run through as it were with such pain of it is our Lord Jesus Christ. The blackguard Judas Iscariot. The reprobate. The devil. Betrayed our lovely Lord for what? For 30 pieces of man's dirty-handed silver. We expect nothing else. And we should expect nothing else. For there is what happens. When fame comes. Moving quickly because time is flying. Elijah's foe. Elijah's foe. Verse 2 of our reading. 1 Kings 19 and verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying. So let the gods do to me the more also. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Remember this brothers and sisters. 
When God does something in your life, whether it's deemed minor or major, even marvelous, remember, it's always miraculous. The little miracles that mean so much to you may not mean something to someone else. But nevertheless, it's the miracle of it. It's the Lord meeting the need of it. It's the Lord speaking in the spirit of it. It's the Lord given to you when you thought it was impossible to be given to. It's the Lord reaching you when you thought it was impossible for anyone to reach you. Helping you when you're helpless. Lifting you when you're hopeless. It's the Lord working in you, through you, and for you. And brothers and sisters here, take note. Whether it is minor or major, even marvelous, It is miraculous that God has moved in your behalf. You see what we are sitting in here? See what we are sitting in here? It's a tent that's creaky. It's flopping about today in the wind. This has been miraculous. What God has done for us from a Wednesday night having nothing and nowhere to meeting this man here and talking to him and the Lord bringing in everything that we needed and not a penny do we owe. With every step you take in victory. I won't say it again to you. Let me just get a drink. With every step you take in victory, there's a plot, a plan, and a ploy of that ever-ready, fervent foe to hurt, to halt, to hinder or to harm you. Elijah's foe was manifest in Jezebel. Now, there's much written about Jezebel's spirits, and some of it's a lot of nonsense. But Jezebel's spirits is a controlling spirit. Not only a controlling spirit, but as a, a spirit that brings you away from God and into a place of idolatry to worship other things. Takes away from being Christ-centered to man-centered, to idolatry-centered. But Elijah's foe was manifested in Jezebel. And every miraculous move of God in Elijah's life, in Elijah's ministry, throughout all that we had read there, all the enemy here, Jezebel could see was this. Throughout all of it, Ahab told Jezebel, All that Elijah had done. Notice what it says then. In verse 1. With all high he had slain all the prophets with the sword. That's all the world will see of you. The worldling. The worldling. The unsaved. The ungodly. The heathen around about us. Can generally see nothing in the Christian nor in the church, nor even in the Lord Jesus, but the slaying of their prophets. And here's what happens. They're your enemies. If you think the government is saying, oh, we're doing this for your good, love you, you're greatly mistaken. See, if you think that they're saying, oh, this, we love you, we do all this for your benefit, you need to go and look and see the yachts they're sailing on. 
You need to go and see their bosses from the banking fraternity and the elitists. You need to go and see what they're... And think again if they love you or not. The worldling, the unsaved, the ungodly and the heathen. All they see is you wanting to slay their prophets. You see, to even acknowledge the existence of God by them would mean then they would have a responsibility before him. Before God. And that's what's wrong with many of them. They don't want to admit that God is living and real because then they have a responsibility before him. Elijah's foe was Jezebel. Jezebel's prophets of Baal or Baal were slain. Listen, brothers and sisters, here's what they say. What? Slay my prophet of hedonism? Feed in my flesh? Slay my prophet of self? You want to slay my prophet of lusts and my loves and my wills and my wants and my lifestyle? Slay the prophet of my doing? You want to slay those prophets here? Because you see, when a man and a woman really speak the gospel of saving grace in Christ and preach the blood of Christ, do you know what it does? It starts to slay them. It starts to slay them. Some brothers and sisters, I know sometimes this seems a bit hard. I've lived with this all week. Early morning, God showed me this in these few verses and I've been writing in my study for two and a half solid days. Praying and thinking. Last night, thinking about it. This morning early, reading over it, thinking about it, praying about it. And the Lord's saying, show them the vision. Show them the fire. Show them Elijah. But show them you're God. He's the God of Israel. Elijah's foe was, was Jezebel. Now, if you think that doesn't matter to us today, listen, it also goes into pagan religion. For example, in Ireland, among the Celts, the, the woman Jezebel is known as Belanus. And do you know what her name means? The Shining One. The Shining One in, in Celtic heathen uh, mythology. The Shining One. Do you know what Paul has warned us from the Shining One in Ireland, in Northern Ireland? Do you know what Paul has warned us of the Shining One in these island home of ours, 2 Corinthians 11 and 14, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. The shining one. And Jezebel's counterpart in Celtic mythology is the shining one. Jezebel means Baal or Baal exalts or married to Baal. I must close this. Thank you for your attention. I have so much here. I've done a couple of pages and I have 13 of them. <laughs> Might need three weeks or four. Jezebel also means married to Baal or Baal. Israel in Exodus 19 were married to Yahweh. Became the bride of God. Moses was the officiator of the marriage. 
And now at the separation of the kingdom of Israel between the northern kingdom and the southern, Elijah and our story is to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now this woman has taken control of her own husband. He is an Israelite. She is a Zidonian and not an Israelite. There was a marriage that should never have happened in Israel. From a child of God. And this woman married to Baal has brought the nation, as it were, to be married to Baal. And God is not pleased. And eventually they are carried away captive by their enemies. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this land of ours, this people of ours, are married to everything else but to the Lord. Covenant nation, Sworn on to God, covenanted from Old Testament to New. And our nation is now marrying every other so-called God. And God will take a dealing with the British Isles. So I close with this because I don't even know where to stop and that's just... The second point of about eight. Peter, 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lamb, runneth about, seeking whom he may devour. There he's having his way with our land and our nation. So here is my closing point, thought. Brothers and sisters, friends, if you're not saved this morning, I want you to hear The devil doesn't care about you. The devil is manifest through Jezebels, controlling governments, causing us to worship at the foot of other gods. The devil does not care about you, does not care of your feelings, cares nothing of your faith nor your fears. The devil doesn't like you, let alone love you. It's time the church believed it. He uses the world against you, fake friends to forsake you, and even so-called carnal Christians to discourage you, and ever-ready enemies to destroy you. Jezebel is mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. Maybe touch on it next week, but maybe move on just to the next point in the Lord's will. And the Lord says to the church of Thyatira, seven churches in Asia, and the risen Christ writes to John, and he gives them seven letters to the seven churches in Asia. There are also seven prophetical church ages in it. Thyatira is the fourth church, the fourth church age, which would have been the time of the dark age when the Roman Catholic Church ruled the world, as it were. And listen to what he says. The Lord says, of Thyatira, by the way, means ruled by a woman. He says, I've summoned against thee because I hate that woman, Jezebel. The 
brothers and sisters, if you can't see the false apostate religion in that, if you can't see how it's now again through other avenues and ways in the ecumenical movement that we have, and listen, there are many hearted, that's the hearted church, there are many little hearted churches from the Protestant denominations joining together with her. Baal or Baal rules among them and Christ says, I hate her. And then he says, I will kill her children. That's New Testament, by the way. That's New Testament. Read it. Revelation chapter 3. 2, maybe. I'll have to look it up again. 2. Revelation 2. Brothers and sisters, be aware and be strong in the faith and stand up for Christ and remember the glory is always to God and the blood of the Lamb has never lost its power I'm going to ask the team to come up the Lord bless you all